everybody. This is the MLB Extras Mets podcast. Tim McMaster along with our MLB Mets reporter, Anthony DeComo. In the swirl of Twitter rumors, Anthony, we're recording this podcast. Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz, the trade possibilities. We may be recording this again before anybody actually hears it. But if you are hearing this, it means that the deal is not done yet. So there's that, I guess. Um, we're going to talk about that. We'll also talk about a lot of hires for this team, including a new hitting coach, a bench coach, some front office pieces as well. But we got to start with the, the newest news, and that is these rumors. Um, so many names involved. From the Mariners' perspective, it's Cano, Diaz. Those are the big guys coming to the Mets. As far as who the Mets would send to Seattle, so many different names have been included in this, Anthony, but it seems like one, if not two, of their last three first-round picks couldn't be involved in, in Jared Kelnick and Justin, Justin Dunn. As you track this, how fluid is the situation right now? Oh, I think it's extremely fluid, and, and honestly, we, we, as we sit here right now, and I guess I should preface this by saying, uh, Tim, that we're recording this at 1.50 p.m. <laughs> on Thursday – and as we sit here right now at one fifty four p.m. on Thursday, I would say uh, we probably uh, don't know more than we do know. So uh, take kind of everything with a grain of salt. But some of the names you're hearing out there are, um, you know, you, you, we've been hearing for days now, Jay Bruce's salary is something that the Mets could look to move. But now we're suddenly hearing that Jared Kalenic, who is uh, the Mets' first-round draft pick, number six overall last year, could be on the move. We're hearing Jeff McNeil, who is penciled in as the Mets' starting second baseman, but would obviously, uh, not necessarily be in that role if the Mets got Robinson Cano, could potentially be in the deal. So these are some big names, some big talent that could potentially go to Seattle if a deal is consummated. And, and we'll, we'll see. It's a fascinating deal in a lot of respects. It's a fascinating deal um, if it does get done because, to me, this is much more about Edwin Diaz than it is about Robinson Cano. The Mets obviously need bullpen help. Edwin Diaz is one of the best, maybe the best closer going in the game right now. But what are you willing to give up for a reliever? We know relievers are volatile. We know relievers are fickle. We know Edwin Diaz, as good as he was last with a sub-2 ERA, the year before that, he lost his job for a time because of lack of performance, uh, mechanical issues, all of that, and we see that sort of thing all the time with relievers. So the Mets would be buying high on this guy. What are they giving up? Is he worth a top six draft pick? Is he worth a starting position player? These are the questions that the Mets are probably running through in their own minds right now in the front office right now, and we'll see how it all shakes out. It, it, it has the potential to be an absolute blockbuster, and, and if it goes down, could be one of the biggest trades in Mets history. Yeah, Cano the biggest name, Diaz probably the best player in the deal, and I don't think people realize how good Diaz was last year necessarily uh, because he played in Seattle on the West Coast all those late night games, but you said it, he's maybe the best, one of the best closers in the game right now, certainly the best in the American League last year, that's for sure, he did win the Mariano Rivera Award for best reliever in the American League. Uh, money's a big part of this, Robinson Cano is 36 years old, he has five years left on that deal, $24 million a year. You mentioned Bruce. Bruce, that's a lot of money going back the other way to help offset that, but that's two years of Bruce, so there's still a lot in that Cano deal. Do you think, from what you've heard, there's also a chance that the Mariners just chip in money as well with Cano to help offset that big contract? Because thinking of Cano making $24 million as a 40-year-old is a little scary. 
Yeah, I, I think the Mariners would have to chip in money. The Mets are not just going to pay $120 million for Robinson Cano, who, frankly, at age 36 and as great as his career has been, is not a $120 million player at this point. Uh, that's not to say he's not a productive player and can't be a starting position player for the Mets or for anyone. He clearly is still that guy. He clearly has been productive when healthy. And you, know, you also have to factor in the fact that he had that PED suspension last year, um, but was productive in spite of it when coming back. So uh, money's an issue. I, I feel like, honestly, when you look at the deal and what the parameters could be, uh, money's almost the easy part because you can come to some sort of reasonable conclusion of how much Robinson Cano is worth, how much the Mets would be willing to pay. Um, you know, maybe Jay Bruce goes, maybe Jason Vargas goes, or a big salary like that to offset uh, Cano. But you can figure that part out. I, I think the part that's trickier and that the Mets have to be careful with is the talent that goes back. Uh, you know, are you giving up a Kalenic or or a, or a Jeff McNeil uh, or somebody else uh, whose whose name maybe we haven't heard yet in terms of those top prospects? The Mets have spent a lot of the last three, four years building up their farm system, uh, doing everything they can to take what was, you know, in 2015 when they made the World Series and made a bunch of big trades, getting Cespedes and other guys. At that time, the Mets had one of the worst farm systems in baseball, and they've done a great job to build it back up. You know, are you willing to spend that capital again on this guy who, as good as he is, Edwin Diaz, he is a closer, and you'd be paying high for one of the best you know, closer seasons we've seen in, in a while, to be honest. So uh, it, it's a very interesting deal. And yes, money is a part of it. But I think the talent is really the trickiest part these two teams are going to have to negotiate. And with that talent, how about the fact that, hey, rather than trade for Edwin Diaz, give up talent and bring Robinson Cano or part of his contract along, why not just take a bunch of money and give it to Craig Kimbrell and then you have your closer, maybe not quite the level of Edwin Diaz, but obviously a bigger track record, and you're keeping all your prospects. That's an argument to be made, right? No doubt about it. And the counter argument to that is probably because Edwin Diaz is better than Craig Kimbrell, and he's better, <laughs> yeah. than, Miller and he's better than anyone. Uh, you know, you could get through free agency, but uh, you know, I, I keep I keep saying this uh, because it's true, and I, I think you know maybe it's something that's misunderstood too by by fans is that. You can't underscore how fickle relief pitching is. And just because Edwin Diaz had a 1-9 ERA last year doesn't mean he's going to have a 1-9 ERA next year. Um, it's, it's tough to go and to commit resources, especially someone like, say, Jeff McNeil, who is an everyday player now, or a Jared Kalenic, who could potentially be an all-star. Uh, you know, his ceiling is, is that good of a player, is a multi-time all-star um, to give up for a guy who I don't think it would shock anyone if Edwin Diaz goes and has a free ERA next year, and then all of a sudden he's in that same category as a Craig Kibrell or an Andrew Miller and Adam Adovino or whoever you want to pick in that free agent crop, which is a very, very good free agent crop for a Libra. So, yes, that's definitely a strategy the Mets could take would be to just to invest heavily in free agency. Um, and, and that's, you know, I've been saying it since the outset of this offseason. The Mets have very specific needs. They need a closer. Really, they need a couple of guys at the back end of that bullpen. Uh, they need a catcher, or at least would very much like to have a catcher. They need a right-handed bat. All of those things can be solved through free agency. And that's not to say that they should solve all of them through free agency. But if you're going to go dip into the trade market and give up talent uh, and give up a, a, a big chunk of what you've accrued over the past few years in terms of prospects, you need to be sure that you're doing it for a reason and you're doing it for a good reason and that 
um, the return that you're getting is making your team significantly better than it would be if you just improved through free agency. Making this trade or signing a closer, either way, if you're bringing in a big-name closer, it certainly backs up Brody Van Wagenen's thoughts when he was hired that we're going to win now. We're going to try to win now because you don't build around a closer. A closer is one of those final pieces when you want to contend. So there's other rumors that have kind of gone to the back burner now about possible Noah Syndergaard trades. If you're going to bring in Edwin Diaz, does it make sense to send away one of your number, you know, one of your top starters, probably your number two starter, if you're going to have a guy to save games that he's starting? You know, I, I never thought it made sense to trade away Noah Syndergaard, and that's just my personal opinion. I know it's one that's shared by a lot of people, but that's just a, that's a talent level that you don't see elsewhere. And I, I'm well aware that Noah Syndergaard has yet to live up to his considerable potential. Injuries have played a big role in that. Uh, you know, he's taken a step back in terms of where he was in maybe 2015 when he first came up and in 2016. But this is a guy whose ceiling still remains the best pitcher in baseball. That's how good he can be if things are right. So to give that up, uh, again, you need to be sure that, A, you're getting absolutely dynamic talent back in return. And B, in Syndergaard's particular instance, you need to be sure that you can get a top starter back in free agency because without Syndergaard or without any of your starting pitchers that you have, uh, all of a sudden that that rotation depth goes bye-bye. The Mets don't have a ton of depth. For as good as their rotation is, they don't have a ton of depth there right now. And trading away a starter would put them in a very precarious situation in which one injury could really devastate the rotation. So they need to be really careful. I think they are being really careful regarding a Noah Syndergaard trade. Uh, ultimately, I, I would honestly be shocked if they do trade Noah Syndergaard. But they are talking about it. It's something that's come up. It's something that's discussed. And, and teams around baseball, of course, are interested in Noah Syndergaard. And I don't think these rumors are going away anytime soon. But I'm not sure there's as much uh, as much smoke to them as there is to, say, this Robinson Cano thing, which is very real right now. All right. So that's a lot of player talk. Let's get on to the uh, coaching staff and the front office because there's a lot going on there as well. Uh, bench coach Jim Riggleman hired. He will be the right-hand man with Mickey Calloway in the dugout. Let's start there. Seems to make a lot of sense, Anthony. You have Jim Riggleman, a guy who has been with so many different teams, has managed for multiple teams, has seen just about everything you can see on a baseball diamond. Mickey Calloway still green to a degree. I mean, he's got a year under his belt, but this seems to make more sense than having Gary DeSarcina as your bench coach just because of this sheer experience level of Riggleman. Yeah, and the Mets have never kind of outright said this, but I think this is kind of an admission that you know maybe they made a mistake last year in giving and not giving Mickey Calloway a bench coach with that kind of experience. And no disrespect to Gary DeSarcina, who's well-liked in the Mets clubhouse. I think he does a good job with a lot of the defensive things that he does and he'll still be on the staff as the third base coach but he's never managed in the big leagues and that would be fine if you have an experienced manager the Mets did not the Mets had a dugout last year with Mickey Calloway and all the coaches who had combined to manage zero games on opening day so uh, they ran into some trouble at times with that last year whether it's you know some double switches that didn't exactly go as they had planned or the most famous being that lineup card snafu in Cincinnati uh, that cost the Mets big time. Um, I, I think this is an admission that, you know, maybe we should have done this all along. Maybe we should have hired someone as bench coach who can guide a first time manager and be that voice, uh, you know, who's been there, done that because Jim Rickleman, as you said, really has seen it all. He's managed a ton of games in the national league. 
Uh, you know, he's taken over midseason on an interim basis. He's managed young players. He's managed veteran players. He's kind of done it all with varying levels of success, albeit. But still, this is a guy who's been there, done that. And I think it's a resource that Mickey Calloway uh, needed and that he can lean on certainly in 2019. All right, and then a new hitting coach, Chili Davis. Not official as we record this, but seems like it's going to happen. Interesting hire just because of the way he left his last job. He's been very successful as a hitting coach. I think he's he really helped the Red Sox hitters for a couple of years. Uh, in Chicago, though, when he left, he almost seemed like he was, I don't want to say giving up, but that that he didn't quite relate to players the way he once had. It was interesting the way things ended there. Obviously, his mindset has changed now if he's enthusiastic to to join the Mets. What's your take on on Chili Davis in New York? Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I've, I haven't had any firsthand interaction with Chili Davis, the coach. So um, it will be interesting to see how he does relate to the players. Those were his words that, you know, I don't know if, I, if I've connected as well as I have in the past. Uh, uh, he said something to the effect of, you know, maybe I need to change my approach with some of these millennial players, which I think raised some eyebrows at the times. Honestly, to me, even more interesting comments came from Theo Epstein, who who told ESPN at the time, um, you know, I think we were done. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something to the effect of I think we were done sacrificing power for opposite field hits. And as good as the Cubs were. You know, they were actually in the bottom third of the league in home runs. They had taken a dip in their slugging percentage from 2017 to 2018. So there were definitely some issues there. And, and the Mets, you know, historically under under Sandy Alderson's regime and under the hitting coaches that they've had, which is now five and six years, by the way, they have not sacrificed power for anything. In fact, home runs are the one thing that they have done pretty consistently well. They've sold out, I would say, in a lot of cases to get those home run totals up. And they've hit a bunch but at the cost of batting average, at the cost of on-base percentage, and some of those things that it seems like Chili Davis was preaching with the Cubs hitters. So we'll see how he meshes with some of these Mets hitters. Uh, it's a talented lineup for the struggles that they've had, and the Mets haven't hit consistently well for a while. You look at the individual components, whether it's uh, Michael Conforto or Brandon Nimmo, Ahmed Rosario, Jeff McNeil, if he happens to stick around, and obviously you want to assess this once he comes back, from the disabled list. There's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of things that the Mets can do. We'll see if that message gets through. We'll see what message Chili Davis will be preaching to these Mets hitters and what message the Mets front office and, and, and Mickey Calloway want him to preach. All right, on to that front office as the Mets hire Adam Gutridge as an assistant GM of Systematic Development, which is one of those great new titles we're seeing popping up. It seems like every team comes up with a different name for their analytics-type departments. And then Allard Baird hired on Wednesday vice president and assistant GM of Scouting and Player Development. So that would be kind of the other side of things. Um, it's an overall package where you can see things just beefing up, though, I think, Anthony. But... Um, you need the scouting and the player development, but I feel like the the Gutridge, if I'm saying his name right, you can correct me if I'm not, higher is the one that stands out more just because this is a team that probably needs to move a lot more into the metrics area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, both of the hires are good in a vacuum. I think combined when you look at Gutridge and you look at Alec Baird, uh, you know, that's a good combination. You've got a guy in Baird who has a long and lengthy history and successful history in the scouting arena, he's much more traditional than what you would expect there and can kind of take over for J.P. Ricciardi, who was the Mets scouting guy for many years here and has since moved on. Um, but then you have Gutridge, who is, you know, in his 30s. He's young. He's 
been at the cutting edge of a lot of this analytics stuff for a while. Um, uh, you know, he's taught at, at NYU some of this stuff. He's spoken at the, the Sloan Analytics Conference and all of these things. And he's consulted for a lot of clubs. He's worked for the Brewers, for the Rockies. So he's got some experience there. Um, but you combine those two together. You have the scouting, you have the analytics, and, and the Mets will certainly uh, probably make some more lesser hires as we go on here. But I think that's the key. And I think any GM will tell you that's the key is you need both and you need both to matter. You need both to blend together. You need the scouting people and the analytics people to work in tandem, not just to say, this is what I think. And this is what I think. I have to work together and be on the same page and be able to work together. So I, I think that's what the Mets have sought out is people who can think like that and people who can collaborate like that. And, uh, you know, on paper, it seems like a pretty good mix that the Mets have assembled here with their new front office. What a week it's been in Mets land. I tell you what, the Brody Van Wagenen tenure has been exciting, if nothing else, Anthony. Hopefully it'll continue to be that way over the course of the hot stove season. But we got Cano rumors and Thor rumors, all these hires. Great stuff by you to cover it all. That will do it for the MLB Extras Mets podcast. For Anthony DeComo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.